0: Streaks on the China, never mattered before, who cared? When you drop kicked your jacket, as you came through the door, no one glared. But sometimes things get turned around and no one spared. All hands look out below, there's a change in the status quo. Gonna need all the help that we can get. You are no arrival. Life is more than mere survival. We just might live the good life, yeah.
1: WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the Comics XF interview podcast, where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt
0: Lazowitz. And this week's guest is the writer of the DC graphic novel "Young Alfred: Pain in the Butler," Michael Northrop. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: So, Michael, what are some of the first comics you remember reading?
2: Um, so, the first comics I remember reading were um, Archie Digest, and I'm uh, I'm I'm dyslexic, so um, reading was a struggle for me um, early on, particularly. I, um, I, you know, I repeated second grade, and um, you know, I didn't enjoy second grade the first time, right? And so then you got to do it again, and I did that second one in um, uh, special ed, and the world was maybe not as enlightened about different people's educational needs back then as it is today, and that was rough, and it, it was it was rough, and and um, so um, reading. You know, I spent that second year in, in, in second grade. It was just like sitting in a corner, reading and rereading the same few sort of like Dick and Jane level books. You know, mm-hmm. it was what I called the like the read damn you approach to literacy. It was like the the square peg in a round hole. They just kind of like you can't read. You're just going to we're just going to make you read until you can. Um, And that's a little bit of an oversimplification. I had a great special ed teacher and they were very um patient and you know I was lucky to get diagnosed as dyslexic in second grade in a small town back then it was I mean so I you know and then to be put in a small special ed class where I got I mean I I I shouldn't complain but I but I have been my whole life and so um uh after that when I got out reading was you know still a challenge you know I was held back a year and I um and it was not definitely something I did for fun. It was like the enemy. Um, and the first thing that really changed that was um those archie digests. I had an, an aunt who worked in a like a uh like a managed care home. What do you call it? So like um right. it's like an, an an old folks home, we used to call them. That's maybe not but like an assisted living facility, I think, I think is the term. Facility, yeah. Yeah. And, and sort of, you know, like a lot of those are tiered. So you have the younger, relatively younger, more independent, and then up to the more people who need more assistance. And um, she worked in, 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 I remember that, you know, much older people and needed a lot of assistance and I would go um, and there wasn't a lot for me to do there, but they had like a little buckets of like, toys for like the you know maybe for like brand kids or in this case like the nephew of an employee and so they had these these archie things and I, picked, I plucked them out of the the buckets and I um I'm like you know I can I can read these you know what I mean like like I can I can do this you know visual storytelling not super heavy on the words heavier on the words than a lot of comics are now but like but still, not that heavy. And um, and that was a real eye-opener for me. And then, like, um, after that, you know, comics were, like, the, the one thing. Like, I could not read, um, and still to the stand, very slow read. I could not read um, the books we were assigned in school or certainly anything anyone was reading outside of school as fast as my classmates or my friends. But I could read comics that fast. And back then, it was, like, spinner rack level, you know, like, where we had... At the local pharmacy in lakeville connecticut they had you know x-men spider-man um for me it was marvel um that's what i remember on the newsstands um and um and then so but the new you know mostly x-men spider-man would come out and um um you know, we'd be talking in the back of the bus, and I, I'd be right there. You know what I mean? Like the next day, I could, I could, I read it too. You know, and that was a real big deal for me. And then the nearest comic book shop was called "My Mother Threw Mine Away." It was in Torrington, Connecticut. Wait, that um, was
1: that was the name of the shop. My mother. That threw was the mine name away? of the shop.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's brilliant.
0: And, yeah, that. it
2: really is. Though I will say, it did not stop my mother throwing throwing mine away when I went to college. Like all the time she drove us there, she like never like picked up on that, but um, but anyways. Um, so then I could get into like back issue stuff. And the other thing that I read really early on, and this was just a total coincidence, was the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because uh, they came out of uh, Sharon, Connecticut a little garage a in Sharon, Connecticut, and I'm from Salisbury, Connecticut, which is the little town right next door. And there's not much going on in Salisbury, Connecticut. So if someone's doing something like that, you, I mean, you know that. So I read those much earlier than you know than most people, certainly most kids that age. And I was just like, these are amazing. And I, and I, I was just like, I had the, this is still black and white, like the black and white poster up on my wall, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And like another... Which, by the way, my mom threw away when oh. I was so, yeah. Oh. But, I mean, but I was, I mean, how lucky was that? Like, they were, they were next door, you know, like, there's that first incarnations, and i and piece so people around there knew about those, and um, they had that in Torrington, of course, and, and, um, um so I, I read that. So Archie, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, and then I got super into my brother is a little bit older. We got it super into and we found the whole thing at um in, in Torrington, um, the Claremont run. So, you know, I mean it was it was fantastic. Um and that was so good and soapy for kids, you know, like it was like like I feel weird reading about this and I don't know why, you know, like um <laughs> and um what else back then like the badger some things like that that were like um um yeah so that was that was but basically early on i was very much marvel for the actual comics and and then a few indies but then um um dc i encountered differently right so like the batman tv show super friends uh superman movie you know what i mean like i like dc was like on the screen and then marvel was in the comics for me uh growing up pretty much yeah that makes sense makes a lot of sense well uh you
1: are here to talk about young alfred pain in the butler your uh, dc graphic novel for kids with artist sam lofty uh matt be my butler and read the solicit text (laughs) for this book
0: very good sir (laughs) When Alfred attends Gotham's servants' school, he is a clumsy and nervous boy going to fulfill his father's last wish. He will become a butler. But when he suspects his new school may be involved in a criminal plot, Alfred must look within himself to see if he has what it takes to be not only a butler, but a hero. So, what is the origin of this project?
2: So the origin of this project was really so um DC um young readers line like the the um the editor who launched that was Michelle Wells who's not at DC anymore but um she likes Alfred you know what i mean and so <laughs> i just loaded that out there you know what i mean like i just like it's like it was one of those things, like, so the first book I did there was, um, Dear Justice League, and that was, mm-hmm. like, you know, kids write to Justice League, um, and they get, sort of, like, very human responses, In all, oh, meanwhile, like, there's this big plot going on, and, and that was, like, an idea I approached them with, and, um, and then the next one was Dear DC Supervillains, which was just right there, you know what I mean, like, it's just the next step, um, but then after that, I'm starting to think, like, well, you know what I mean, like, I'm, you know, I've got to put in the door here, and I, so I can just start. start pitching some things, and and um, I I I love Alfred. Like to me, like um, just a great underappreciated character. And I also like some of that, like I don't want know what you call it, but like that sort of like school of 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 literature, um, where it's like the remains of the day, or you know that like English sort of country house stuff. Um, um brides had revisited, stuff like that. Um I'm like like I said, I'm a slow reader, but um from um from that I got into poetry early on because um like you have to read poetry slowly and carefully. And it's the only way I can read anything. And then I got like I, I got some positive feedback for that. And so somehow very cruelly slow reading dyslexic became like an English nerd a little bit. Um, and that was like my subject and end up with, like I went to school for and everything, but I gravitated towards sort of like poetic-y kind of things um, in the most like pompous teenage possible way. Um, but I definitely, um, I always kind of really liked that, that sort of like dreamy, um, often like looking back from uh, the golden years on a sun-dappled youth outside of Oxford somewhere or whatever. Um, and so you'll notice like that young Alfred has that framing. You know what I mean? That same like old butler who's like put in the years and the of service and he's asking himself what it all means, kind of. And looking back on that, like not, I wouldn't say misspent youth, but you know, like, but certainly <laughs> a little more, a little more carefree than than the adulthood. Um and yeah, so I mean, so. So basically I just sort of floated out the idea like, what about an what about an Alfred book? You know what I mean? And um and then she she loved it. You know what I mean? She thought she's like, yeah, you know, work something up. And I I feel like I came up with a good pitch. Like the, the book as it is now is very similar to the structure of the page. Like I basically had that the overall thing in the pitch. But really I think and what I've been told is is it was just the title <laughs> that got <that guy>, like <laughs> young Alfred Payne and the butler and um they were like sold you know what I mean like like I like I came up with a really good pitch I really worked hard on it because I thought it was gonna be a really tough sell um and um and they they were like yeah let's 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 do this. Um
1: you had us but a butt pun.
2: <laughs> really yeah I mean I mean for you know it's like you need the right tool for the job, right? You write a, a book for you know middle grade readers like just do what you gotta do, you know. Um, but yeah, so that's how that happened. This is also the same time I was pitching um a Teen Titans Go book and I ended up doing Teen Titans Go Undead, which is right there, like Teen Titans Go and zombies. Like it it, it was like, you know, they go to the mall, you know what I mean? All those like zombie tropes. It was fun. Um but that that wasn't the first thing I pitched first thing I pitched was Teen Titans Gurr, which was like their animals you know what I mean like I thought it was so funny and they were like nah. <laughs> it's like a it's like a bridge too far there you know what I mean so then I came up with the undead thing and that was <laughs> but so yeah so my track record record was spotty at this point but I was just like they were open to an Alfred thing I love Alfred I can't did my best and I just like stumbled on the title that they really liked and so that's how that happened
1: So you've got a few of these now, these DC uh, graphic novels under your belt. How did you first get involved with the program?
2: So, I mean, I did the old fashioned way of writing um, 12 um, prose novels first. Um, So that was like all, so I started out young adult at Scholastic writing Mm -hmm. a young adult book and then um, another young adult book and then. Um, but then scholastic being scholastic, which is very heavily clubs and uh, book fairs, you know, um, mm-hmm. they sort of gravitationally pull you younger the longer you're there. So I ended end up doing more middle grade. So I ended up um, and I, I did a, a five book middle grade series and the first book was on the New York Times bestselling list and the, the, the series as overall just sold a, a, a huge amount of books. I remember at one point it was like a thousand books for every day of the year total, you know what I mean, for that series, and, and, um, um, and so, yeah, so that sold a ton, that was Tomb Quest, so I, I was, a you know, established middle grade young adult novelist with Scholastic when they were starting their young readers line at DC, and they were looking for, um, storytellers, you know, people who knew that, um, age, uh, group that, you know, understood stories for that age group, and, and, um, and my, Agent knew about that, and she knew I was a huge comic book fan. Sort of just like apropos of nothing, just because we've known each other for so long, um, I've had the same agent my whole career, and and um, so she knew they were looking for you know experienced um, um, children's writers, and she knew I was a big comic book fan, and so that she you know that sort of came together that way. Um, and they asked for some pitches, and I remember. I came up with like I don't know there were probably half a dozen I should find that document actually there were some fun things it was like it was like a, there was a Superman there was an Aquaman there was but then the, immediately they like it, it was Dear Justice was on that the the concept that ended up being the book and um and they went for that right away um and um yeah that, and that came together uh, pretty quickly. And then it was really interesting scripting that first book because, you know, it was my first graphic novel and I was like, you know, how's this going to go? But it went really smoothly. Um, And the thing is, it's just like I realized afterwards, it's like you can't read that many comic books like over the course of your life and not internalize some of it. Like even if you're not intentionally breaking it down, like, oh, you know, what's the panel count? What's the You know what I mean? Like, you know, what's the. you know what? What are we talking about? Word count wise, for the you know, what I mean, all of that. Like, um, but you just like you just absorb it. You know, enough of it. And, you know, and you you really, it is in there somewhere. You know what I mean. And so, it was a very um, smooth process for me, which it wasn't for all. Like, I, they were all like converted young adult and kids novelists, and like it was like a rockier road for some than for others. Um, mm-hmm. But. I do feel that those of us who are real or big comic book fans um, already or comic book readers had, had a real advantage in that. Um, obviously, it is something I feel like you can learn, but it's also it's just like, you know, like writing novels is the same way. You know, like the, the number one thing for writing novels is reading them, you know, and even if you're not consciously dissecting like, oh, what's the third act here, blah, blah. You know, what I mean, like you are in some ways taking that in and, and sort of metabolizing that. And, and it's the same thing with comic books. Um, of course, you know, the the DC books, you know, the trim size, everything, a little bit smaller, so that affects panel count. Obviously the age level affects, you know, you know what you want to do word count wise on the page. Like, you know, Dear Justice League, the first chapter, it's sort of broken down into chapters for each member. And, yeah. you know, obviously we're going to start with Superman. So the first chapter is Dear Superman. But the first, you know, the opening is almost wordless. Apart from sound effects, it's almost wordless almost all the way through. And it, as you go, you get a few more words. But I wanted that. I wanted kids, especially like kids who are like me, who are like reluctant readers or younger readers or just whatever reason to be able to pick it up and have it be really friendly, really easily, heavily visual storytelling, very few words. And then as you go on through the book, the the words amp up a little bit, like it's never, at no point is it really, it's not like Benda stuff, you know what I mean? Like, but it's just like, (laughs) like, it's like, you know, there is a story you have to tell and there's some exposition and stuff you have to do. But, um, but I, I front loaded the, um or like reverse front-loaded. I kept it really light in the start and it sort of amped it up later. And hopefully the reader at that point would already be into the story, invested and willing to accept a little bit uh, heavier word count, you know? But I always like for young readers, I I, I go light, light on the word count, which, and I've been lucky because I've just worked with fantastic artists who can basically do my whole job for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, just try not to make it too obvious, but it's like they are, you know what I mean? Like, like as light as I go on the words, like I always am trimming words, you know, when we get the art in, you know, when we do like the dialogue pass, um, because they're all all always telling that story visually so much more succinctly and so much more efficiently than I anticipate, because I don't, I'm, I'm not an artist on that level, and I can't see how they would do that. So here's stuff I think I'm gonna need to explain in the dialogue or in the captions. And then I look at the page and I'm like, oh, that's it's all, it's completely clear already. Like Sam Sam Latvey who did um, Young Alfred is, I mean, he's, he's good on two levels. Um, he's a really good at, at the just visual storytelling. In fact, how this happened is he hadn't drawn a DC book yet, but he'd, um, helped out um in fact i think some of those newer people who were newer to comics um in terms of breaking de- breaking down um the story thumbnailing uh, that kind of stuff just um um converting it into visual storytelling and he, but he's so good that they um they were looking for a book to get him on and he's a big alfred fan and i'm just like the lucky guy who was there at the right place and got to work with him on uh, his first uh, full book for the young readers line and um, but again I mean he's telling so much of that story visually so that it allows me to just you know the words in here are mostly puns you know (laughs) so (laughs) it's it's a great luxury when it's like the story is so efficiently told visually that you can just add the little the grace notes right like little jokes the little puns the little you know what I mean like and you you not have to do the you don't have to do the heavy lifting um, and that's true with um, Sam because you know he's really good with expressions and so much of that you know what you're trying to do with dialogue is just tone and mood and stuff and you could do so much of that with the expressions if you're that good you know what I mean like which is a huge if but I'm very lucky because um, the artists I've worked with there have been so good Gustavo Duarte before on the uh, Dear uh, Justice League and Dear Supervillain so good with expressions. Um, you know, obviously we're doing less emotional heavy lifting when Teen Titans go, but, you know, Eric Owen was fantastic for that too. So it's just, it is a real, like, people ask me, like, what's my advice for um, beginner comic, beginning comics writers? And I say, work with a fantastic artist, right? Just like, you just look so much better. It's like people will tell me about like Dear Justice League, like their favorite, what they think is so funny, their favorite thing, and it's almost always something that Gustavo did. You know, and I'm like, I'll take credit (laughs) for it, like I'm the writer, but like I'm just like, oh, thanks, thanks, you know, that was totally Gustavo, (laughs) but you know, whatever. (laughs) That that will happen here with Sam too. It just hasn't yet because the book just came out, but yeah.
0: So. You mentioned the puns, and as I was reading the book, there's a lot of puns and a lot of wordplay, both in you know the meaning of the words, but also you play with spelling. And how much of that do you sit back and are like, "All right, I want to make sure that you know this joke is going to work for kids," or do you just sort of write the joke, and if you appreciate it yourself, you go with it and Maybe they'll pick it up. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll pick it up when they read this book in 10 years because they loved this book when they were a kid.
2: Yeah, it's um it's it's something is like my theory of like joke density. There's like a pack enough in there. You know what I mean? And there are panels where there's like there'll be like three or four jokes because there's like a, a visual joke in the background. There's like a like a pun, and then it's a pun on something you're seeing. You know what I mean? Like, like, and I'm like. I don't have to get them all. And it's just like, same thing with like, thing like Pixar books or uh, Pixar movies or like the Simpsons, like when, you know, the old Simpsons, when it's good, right? Like where there'd be like something going on in the background and you could completely miss it. If you see it, it's hilarious. But if you don't, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a bonus. You know what I mean? Like, and I like putting that stuff in there because I really feel like there's a, a premium on discovery there. Like if a reader doesn't get it, it's fine. As long as like, you're not saying the wrong word. Cause it's a funny word. And then it totally screws up the story. Like I wouldn't do that. You know what I mean? Like, so if it's not getting in the way of the story, I'll put them in there because like, if a reader, for example, a reader misses it the first time, reads it again and sees it, they will value that so much more like that joke is funnier and they'll feel a more connected to the story because they got it you know what i mean it wasn't like and then there are others that are so like just painful puns that are right there you can't miss and that's that's fun too you know what i mean it's just like you put enough in there and then it's this variety some you have to work for some um that you can't miss um some funnier than others maybe you know what i mean like um and um I, I just feel like as long as this doesn't get in the way of the story, as long as the story still works, um, as long as I, I find it funny or Sam finds it funny or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, like we want to have fun. Like, we just want to have super fun doing this because our feeling has always been like, if we have fun, it'll come through. You know, if we have fun making this, it comes through on the page. Same thing, if you're really overthinking the jokes or whatever, revising them to death or whatever, I feel like that can come through too you know, and it can seem a little joyless, a little precise or whatever. Like my favorite, I mean, some of my favorite, like things in the book are like, are not like the best written. If I didn't rewrite them, cause I was like, that's the way it is, right? That's the way, that's the way people talk. That's the way punchlines are, you know what I mean? You're like, get one word off, but people still laugh because they still get where you're going or whatever. But yeah, I, I feel like we just wanted to have fun, have a ton of fun, put a ton of jokes in there, jokes and puns and wordplay. If you get if you got most of them, that's great. If you miss a few, that's fine. You know, as long as it doesn't, it's not a, a, a hole in the story that you fall down. You know what I mean? And I wouldn't you wouldn't do that.
1: So uh, this Matt booked this episode uh, and I. I. We all know why I, I, you know, Matt has been uh, in mourning over Alfred for about like what five years now.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's about that. <laughs>
2: yeah. Who, who's counting, right? I mean, it was, I mean, it was, it, it was shocking. It was, a, I mean, it's, it's hard to be shocked by much in comics now. That was shocking. Um, but and- I do have this, this theory, like, like most people, most comic fans are gonna have a favorite version of Batman. Right? They have a favorite version of Superman or whatever. And that could be like a specific run, specific artist. It could be like a specific actor from you know the movies or something like that. But they're gonna have, even if it's like the, oh, the old TV show or whatever, or if it's like, you know, it's Christian Bailey, no one or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like they're gonna have a favorite version. Um and that's not true. I feel like the for most people, the version of Alfred is in their own head. Because it's never been that prominent. You know what I mean? Like in even in, I mean, there, there are times when he's done a little bit more lifting than others or whatever, but he's always been in the background. And you know, sometimes they have a name actor doing him, sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's like the concept of like a reserved older, hyper-confident English gentleman, you know, a butler, the, a butler's butler, um, who's like sort of a father figure with a level of emotional reserve that they both need for that to work. You know what I mean? Like, it's so graspable. Like readers grab, and they, they like, Alfred sort of like exists with them, I feel like from comic to comic. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that version, like if you say Alfred is like a comic reader, they have their own conception in their head, much more than with like the big name ones who they have like a specific incarnation who they, they really gravitate towards. I feel like Alfred, we kind of, most people are like construct their own. And it is weird that he's gone. He's not in, um, I mean, he, he's, he's not in continuity. He's not, he's not in the main title and, and stuff like that, but it's just like, but the the concept is still there, like he's and, and now it's like he's like Obi Wan Kenobi in the Star Wars movies, where his like absence is so palpable. You know what I mean? And um, and though he's not like glowing, like in the party scene or whatever. Up in the- uh,
1: I mean, listen, Chip <laughs> if you're listening, Alfred Force Ghost.
2: <laughs> I mean,
0: Read that comic. That.
2: I get the <laughs> I get the like foil variant on that, like 100 like. Um, but I do I do feel like. Alfred is something, like, even, like, writing this, like, I was not, it was not a specific version that I was thinking of, I mean, you construct your own version a little bit, you know what I mean, like, and Sam did, too, and we didn't have to compare notes, because we knew, at the same reference points, we're going to end up at about the same place, you know, um, and, yeah, it's just stuff like that, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a concept that, it just it's just very appealing to me for on a, a number of of levels. Um and yeah, it just I just felt like he deserved a turn in the spotlight. And there's so little out there on him, you know what I mean? Like um a couple of like mini-series here and there, you know what I mean? Like where he um obviously, you know, the show, but uh, you know. Um that it was like just wide open terrain. You know what I mean? Like all the backstory, all the other characters in this book we invented. You know what I mean? Like all the, you know, like you couldn't do that for, you know, Clark or, you know what I mean? Like, like that's this, you know, there's canon on that stuff. You know what I mean? Like who did you go to high school with? Who, You know what I mean? Like um, there's, there's nothing out there. I mean, and the young readers books are out of continuity anyway, so we can do what we want, but it was just a wide open field. You know what I mean? Like you can, construct as much as you want there's very little out there um on him and the to the extent there is it's not stuff that people are that familiar with or wedded to they they know who in their mind who Alfred is they know what his role is they have an idea what he looks like you know um you know what he looks like what he sounds like what he dresses like you don't need to know well which artist or which right you know what I mean like there's like a real consistency there which is the same role he plays in in Bruce's life right like you just so anyways I love the character Sam loves the character and it's just like that the whole thing with this book was just like like you know share why you know what I mean like you know what I mean like you know write a book tell you know like just you know explaining why explains the wrong word but like why you love this character you know what do you love about this character you have 128 pages go <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: Matt, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna turn to you first on this one. But you know, we're 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 talking about Alfred, we're talking about sort of transcending uh per, portrayals and 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 runs and all of that. But uh I, I am curious, do you have a favorite Alfred performance?
0: Oh I'm gonna take what is generally my answer when anyone asks me favorite ex-bat character performance- uh-huh. uh Ephraim zimbalist Jr Batman the animated series Batman the animated series distills pretty much every character down to the platonic ideal of that character yeah and zimbalist is very dry but hyper competent at butling and then a couple of times when he gets out there, in Eternal Youth, in The Lion and the Unicorn, he's still doing, you know, he, he still has that little bit of man of action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's always interesting when you hear the first two or three episodes that were recorded when it was Clive Revel, who just did the Whoa. first couple episodes, and then Zimblis comes on, Revel doesn't do a bad job, but when Zimblis comes on he just takes it and just adds that little bit of something that makes that character that's, like,
2: a, that's a solid answer and it's a good
1: answer you know i i've been thinking about this and i i think my answer you know my answers are a little bit contradictory because i do like and i'm not saying this 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 is a definitive take on the character by any stretch I do like an Alfred that's not afraid to to be a little badass uh, you know and get a little cockney when when his when his danders up though. So for example like I, as much as I had my issues with the show I actually really enjoyed Sean Pertwee's performance in Gotham.
0: There is a middle ground in between I think Michael Caine got that in the Dark Knight trilogy mm-hmm. where while he never really does much combat the, the the speech in the dark night you know some men just want to watch the world burn that you know mm-hmm. me and my friends were going to take out a warlord you get a hint that that was who he was and i while i appreciate the badass alfred i think that there's just i like the 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 more traditional alfred but in the comics of course there is that gray area where he is mostly the much more reserved Alfred, but then, you know, Bane, uh, Hush breaks into the Batcave and Alfred takes out a 12-gauge shotgun and is hunting Hush through the Batcave.
2: <laughs> the only thing I would I would say about that is, like, is, like, it, it, yes, it's the comic books and you sort of want, like, everyone to be able to, like, rip off that, you know what I mean? To have the the transformative moment, you know what I mean? Pull open the shirt and you got the S inside and you, you kick some ass. Like, totally understand that. But in terms of like badass, in terms of formidable, like mm-hmm. what I've thought of a, a few times, like is did either of you watch Downton Abbey? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So Carson is the butler. Yes. Right? Carson is badass. He is formidable. He's not gonna beat anyone up. But that doesn't mean like within his world, within his sphere. He's terrifying. Like those mm-hmm. people are terrified. You know what I mean? Like, like when they're like up to some, like downstairs shenanigans, <laughs> like that's who you don't want turning, you know, that? like it, like it's a gravity, like a planet around that man. You know what I mean? It's just turning the corner and now order is reestablished because he's there. That's badass. No, you're not going to beat up, but it's still, it's a form of badass. It's a form of formidable. But just his world and it's a different world it's not a it's not a, a fighting world it's not a you know what I mean but that to me is the badassery of Alfred you know what I mean the gravity you know what I mean like the this is the competence you know what I mean the ability to do and say the right thing you know what I mean all these things are so hard for even like the you know the the most potent superhero struggles with that you know what I mean like the decorum the decency that is like there's such a core for him. And so to me, like, that's like the central, like the, the gravity, the badassery of, of Alfred is that, that. The, the, the Butler badassery. <laughs> it's a weird thing
0: to say, right? But like, yeah. The fact that he is one of three people in the DC universe who can look at Batman yeah. and just make a cutting remark. Yeah. It's him, it's Leslie Tompkins, and it's Amanda Waller. Yeah. They're the only three, I mean, yeah, some of the super folk, but they're the only three just, like, kind of baseline humans who just can, yeah. like, yeah, just yeah. T- stop taking yourself so seriously for a minute. Yeah, and yeah, it, absolutely. Who have the
2: ability to check, you know what I mean? Like, some something so, someone so formidable, you know what I mean? Like, it, to not be intimidated, but to also know the moment, the word, you know what I mean? Like, that to me, also badass. Though I do like, you know, obviously... Movies. Like the you know it's very it's very um appealing the whole like mi six you know like that whole like mm-hmm. and I mean i'd I'd love to do one of those too. I'd love to do like a like a like a a a borny kind of you know <laughs> what I mean like you know what I mean like Alfred, you know, burned at mi6 on his own like whatever on the right you know that that kind of thing would love it, but I'm just saying when I think of him, I think of the other. Sort of badassery, you know. Yeah, it's
1: it's interesting. You met you brought up Carson because my next question was going to be a favorite non-Alfred Butler across media, and Carson was one of my two answers. The other is a childhood favorite, Lynn Belvedere. Oh, wow.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, for me, it would be. It would be Jeeves you know what I mean like you know yeah. like yeah yeah but but then of course you can see that in the writing too right you know what I mean like yeah I mean but there's yeah yeah Bell I mean those that's a that's a super solid answer too there's something so so like comforting about all of them right you know what I mean like Carson and yeah I mean it's just like like I mean he's ter- he's terrifying but he's yes. like he's not like like He's it's, it's, it's a strange sort of hero, you know what I mean? Like, it's a strange, flawed sort of hero. And of course, he was also, right, an actor in his youth. Remember? So like, yes, which he, of course he's mortified by now, but like, <laughs> I I actually forgot about this just, just now. I just thought of that, yeah. That, the Alfred connection there, yeah. Um,
0: it's funny, because mine was Jeeves as well, but very specifically... The Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, Jeeves and Wooski. Wow. I mean, any Jeeves, but that one, I yes. just, they yes. play off each other in anything they do, whether it's that or a bit of Fry and Laurie, they play off each other so well. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. and the thing is, like, the thing about Alfred in the comics is, like, can have elements of all of them right because he's kind of this, this the, the er butler right like he is the you know what i mean like he you know he encompasses it all you know what i mean like what makes a good butler right you know what i mean Is like the the affability you know what i mean the nobility the seriousness the you know what i mean the competent it's like all of it right all of it and so and there's some element of all of that in alfred if you even look at his like how his backstory is sort of constructed with the, like, whispers of acting and MI6 and all these, th- and it's just, like, all different, you know what I mean, like, elements in there, you know, everything you, you think to make, you know, to make that, that perfect butler, it's like, there's some of that in there, and then it's all, it all comes out in this, like, this, this, this really just recognizable, comforting, familiar figure. And then, and which was really, it was really fun to like do the, like the modern day framing in young Alfred, which of course, you know, is, is, is old Alfred. And that whole thing about, you know, to be young is to think about the present what's in front of you and, um, and be old, you know, maybe there's more looking back, maybe it's more, you know what I mean? Like, and that, that framing is so that's like the remains of the day, like another great um, Butler story, but also like, you know, all of those old English countryside manner things, you know, um, brides had revisited and all of that, you know, looking back from the golden years to acquired some wisdom and made some decisions and maybe some sacrifices. And then you look back at this, like sun dappled youth or whatever. Um, and it was, it was fun to to frame it that way um, in this book, because it's something I really, I really enjoy like that, that dichotomy, you know, like the the wisdom, the sacrifices, the real world that Alfred really represents. And then, but then also he was a kid once too, like, you know, you don't think about it, but he was, you know, like everyone was, you know. Um, So it was fun to be able to incorporate those two, those two elements. Plus it it gave Sam the opportunity to draw like the great, like Joker and Harley and all of that. Like, and, you know, obviously we needed Batman. You know what I mean? And say so, you know, like, how are you going to do that? You know, like, you have, it's a DC
1: that. property. So legally he's got to be there.
2: <laughs> he's got to be there. Right. I mean, it's like, yeah. I mean, it's funny too, because it's like, when you think about a, a, a full length graphic novel that is completely focused on what people are going to consider a secondary character, a supporting character, you know what I mean? It's like, how do you do that? It's like, well, have to have the Batman, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you gotta you gotta give uh, give them a little bit of that. But then also, I mean, that was why we chose, I made mean, that choice of the villains. It's like, we just felt like we needed a little star power. You know what I mean? Like, it just like Joker and Harley. Plus, I mean, the dynamic is great and all of that. And um, it, was, it was a very specific conception version of Joker and Harley that Sam went with. I was all aboard with that, but like, um but it was a little bit of that, like, okay, we got a supporting character on the cover, in the title, got to have the, you know, like the Batcave, you got to have Batman, you got to have, you know, and then, you know, the two biggest villains, right? So if it was just like young Alfred and young Two-Face or something, I don't know if this book would have happened, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, so we didn't, we didn't push it.
0: Speaking of, you know, bringing in other characters was, was there ever any temptation from you with young Alfred to see younger versions of other characters, specifically like a cameo by a young Thomas Wayne or something like that? Or did you just like, no, that's a little too cute. Yeah. I, I, um, I wasn't super tempted just because like,
2: um, I got the chance to just completely construct this world, like the school, like all the supporting characters, like none of them, like, none of those are DC characters. Not even like, you know, like, like I just wrote, I wrote another story for Archie. So this, I've done like three stories for Archie now. And with the Archie stuff, I love to like, like I have the Archie encyclopedias. I like, I love to scour like the B and C list and like put in either as like the main characters a background characters, really like just like fun, deep cuts. Like I really lo- love that. And, and, um, you know, do you see the same thing? I mean, they got the same sort of golden age pedigree, right? But like, and they have like a deep library too. But with this, I really enjoyed the open field aspect where it's like, I'm just telling a story that hasn't been told because people haven't really, for the most part, bothered to tell a story about Alfred's childhood. It seems sort of besides the point. You know what I mean? Like, he's an old man. Like, don't you understand? He's an old man. You know what I mean? Like, but it's like, but he wasn't always, right? And so I found that really fun to just invent all of that. And, you know, Sam did too. In fact, like one of the things in there, like a shared reference too, was, um, was Hogwarts, right? So we have the owl, we have Hedwig, like, in one of the scenes, like, on the roof there, and, like, looking, to, and just, like, a little, it's a joke, because there is, like, an element with the their school uniforms and the vaguely Englishness of it, and, like, we're sort of making fun of ourselves there, but, like, there's that, like, the joy of invention there, too, where you get to make all these fun names and these fun, like, school, and they, you're just inventing stuff, and if you bring in, like, yeah, like, a young Thomas Wynn, I mean, they now I feel like you you're piercing the veil a little bit you know what I mean like now you're like oh you know oh you want to oh you want to talk you want to talk canon now you want to talk continuity like oh what year what uh what kind of phone is that you know what I mean like like all of that stuff where we just have it vaguely floating with like the boxy old-fashioned cars which are fun and the you know like the you know but then the the rotary phone you know so it's just like yeah I, I felt like the opportunity to just invent a backstory for someone who hadn't had many you know like much of that done before in decades like was just too good to pass up and like it was easy to pass up on on the you know the the temptation for deep cuts which I do I do enjoy but not in this case, I, I just had too much fun just completely inventing the school and these people and this place and the supporting characters like um, Penny Spiffer, right, the Tuppence, like it was so fun, you know, and it was just like, it's not, that's not, I, mean, I, I completely invented that, you know what I mean and and that was, we were just having fun doing that and so, yeah I mean, I would love to do a different book like that, you know what I mean, like where we get into, you know, we we like hit rewind and get a little more analog back there and some of these names you sort of know in different like in different contexts like that would be fun but not this book like this book already it's like as soon as they told me you know you can do a, a full graphic novel on on alfred like i'd feel like i'd already won like i didn't need to push it you know i didn't need to try and get extra more fun stuff in there like that was good enough for me you know And then it was just a question of how to do that the best
0: way possible, you know, for him. So, yeah. You sort of answered a little bit of what I was going to ask next, but I was curious with creating all of those new characters because you create so much in this little book. Do you somewhere have like notes, like more about Penny, more about the other Butler students that could become future stories? Or was it just... That's my that's a, that's that's my editor's job.
2: She's like she's been my Sarah Miller is the editor at DC and and she um, she's been my editor on all four books. So it's or no all three of these books. I, Teen Titans Go, obviously the Teen Titans Go editor, but um that's Christy Quinn, but um but um yeah Sarah like would would be like you know what I mean? We need to because like. It's challenging because it's like in my mind, I felt like I knew these characters already. It's like I come up with the the look, the name, the, ba- the background, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know who this kid is. But that doesn't mean the readers do because these are completely new characters. So it's just like how much it's not about them. It's not their story, but they still need to be real people. So then it's like, have we spent enough time with them? Do we need them to say uh, something else here so we understand that maybe... They're a more cautious character, that you know what I mean. Like, you know that, but but the reader doesn't necessarily yet, you know what I mean? Like, what's the dynamic between them? So it's like, yeah, I mean, with Penny, like, so much of this, the revision, um, revision process was pretty smooth. And honestly, um, it, it, the book didn't change much over the course of like from the, the original pitch to the like the final product, but one thing that really did was like the the dynamic and the relationship between Alfred and Penny. And that really was just working with the editor, you know, and, you know, it really is this, this uh, a, a team product, you know, and, you know, obviously it's clear what uh, Sam brings to the table. Um, Are the colorist Kendall Good you can just see you know that the palette you can see what they're doing but the editor you know is a little bit invisible but so much of the heart of that book is yeah is stuff that we've really worked at you know the relationship especially between you know going in you're going to work on the relationship between Alfred and Bruce like you know you're going to tweak that you have to get that just right but you know but there are other, you know, ev- everything in the in the book has to, has to work. Um, and, yeah, we spent as, probably as much time as anything on that central relationship between the two young leads, Alfred and Penny. Um, and it's fun because it's like soup to nuts, right? Like, we completely invented that character. And then by the end, I feel like I know her. Like, I feel like she's a fleshed out, fully realized character who the reader at the end is going to, you know, like have a sense of and that's it's it's a very satisfying um thing um i'd love to see i'd love to see more penny spipper stuff right penelope penny spipper i love that stuff um alfred the tuppence like that'd be great i would you know i would love to write that you know like i don't know what would have to happen for, for that to be for them to get that phone call i mean that would be i mean like the the morning after the Eisner's or something like that. Right. Like if there's like, like, (laughs) Hey, Michael, I see, you know, I'm like there with like eight of them, like, "Eh," which there aren't even that many categories for younger stuff, but whatever. Um, How how did I get best translation of a foreign (laughs) work? (laughs) I'll take it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. It's like the Slovakian edition did great. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but I would, I would love it. And who knows, you know what I mean? Never say ever like that character is out there. Now those characters are like that school, like Gotham servant school, the toast of the upper crust, right? Like it's like, it's like a, you know, um, like once that, once I had that like line, like then that school couldn't go anywhere. Cause it's like, no, I can't lose that joke. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, yeah, but it's, it's out there now. I'd love to, I mean, it'd be great to go back. I wrote a, A young adult novel called Trapped is about um, a group of teenagers who are um, stuck in their high school during a huge week long blizzard, right? And they're the last, like, last students waiting to get picked up at the end of, like, it's early closing. And then they're the last ones waiting to get picked up, but the snow keeps coming, the roads shut down, no one can get to them. So now they're stuck in the school together. And they have to, like, figure out how to survive, right? Like, power goes out, the pipes freeze, all that. But also how to get along. It's almost harder, you know, because they're, like, a group of mismatched teenagers, right? So um, for years, years and years, I get so many emails about people wanting to know. Because I sort of ended it. It's kind of kind of an open ending, sort of hopeful. But I don't, you know, I don't follow them home. I don't shovel their, you know, sidewalks for them. Um, so people wanted to know always ask me what happens next when is the sequel like all of that you know what i mean like and years and years people i still get those emails and so it's like once in a while i think oh, if i have time i never have time but i always think if i have time like maybe maybe i'll do that maybe i'll maybe i'll do that i always joke like it'll be called trap Two: the shoveling you know but um but people want it you know what i mean like they keep asking because they get invested in the characters right and then they you know they just they meet them on page one and then by the end they want to go further with them right and that's that's all you can ask for as a writer right it's like the people like meet your characters and (laughs) a believe them and b do not get sick of them like that's i'll take it so who knows the characters are out there someday i get to return to them i'd love to do that like especially those two because i feel like it took us a lot of work to get the dynamic just right between them I'm really proud of what we ended up with. Um, so it'd be fun to take that, you know, a little further, but who knows? If anyone asks me, I'll let you know.
1: <laughs> so uh, I was thinking about sort of, I was thinking about this, you know, as as time has progressed and I feel like Society generally, or 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 somewhat more loudly, has kind of taken on these these anti-capitalist sentiments uh, since dating to the 2008 recession. The role of the the faithful butler or servant in comics has largely disappeared or evolved into other things. So, for example, Jarvis, Tony Stark's butler, became an AI once they went to the MCU wong used to be dr strange's manservant uh you know not the best term of course you know and then we get the mcu and now he's more of a a partner in sorcery or now the sorcerer supreme uh yes you know alfred though up to up to his death in in 2018 remained the butler he was batman's you know faithful servant yeah there were elements of guy in the chair there's there's the surrogate father thing but you know he's exactly as you see him in the present scenes of of pain in the butler he's he's alfred and i you know i I was kind of just wondering why alfred gets to endure in that role whereas as others you know kind of shifted away from that over time
2: well i mean it's interesting first of all by the way, I think I told you before, like, I'm full of cold medicine, but at an earlier um, podcast, I really, I, I faded at the end. So I really, I'm full to the gills of cold medicine. I have a cough drop currently. And now you're getting to me to talk about capitalism. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, you know, this is, let's go wrong. Like I was going to bring up like the Pink Panther and Cato and all of that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm just going to dial it back and just like, like, first of all, like not just Alfred, right? But like, but like so first of all, like look at like now, like Alfred not around,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, in the main line. And and um, but then look what's happened with Bruce Wayne. Like the idea it's like, oh, like a billionaire with all these resources and you're gonna spend them beating up street level criminals, right? Like that mm-hmm. has also come under increased scrutiny, right? You know what I mean? Like so Thanks, Twitter. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's anyone. <laughs> fortunately, it's going away. Unfortunately, it's like the only promo channel I have less, but um, but I mean, it all comes under scrutiny, right? And these are complicated times. And though Alfred was killed, I don't think he was killed for anti-capitalist reasons. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't think it was a way to stick it to the man, but like, um, but yeah, these are complicated times. And I do feel like part of this and is i mean we know we understand that simpler times bygone errors weren't simpler or uh rose-tinted you know for everyone and and i would say for very few you know i mean there's like basically feudal systems where it's like if you were like we we have problems with the one percent now but like back in like landed gentry england like There was not a lot of stops between being the lord of the manor and being like a potato farmer with a wooden wheeled cart you know what i mean like and just like so yeah so our view of that whole thing is super simplified anyways like we talked about downton abbey like obviously downton abbey is super problematic in a bunch of ways but people don't care when they watch it that's not what they're they're not like show us outside the gates we want to see how people are living you know what i mean like it's like no that is not what people want to see people want to see a like rose-tinted selective like thing of like rich people behaving badly and that goes all the way up to like the kardashians or whatever but like Mm -hmm. um but with their own dramas their own personal whatever and so i feel like there is for lack of a better world where like or lack back of a better world, also, but like this, a little bit of that, like bygone era, like knowable rules and manners and etiquette that could we put in a book, and you could say the right or wrong thing, and it wasn't dependent on you know what I mean, like eight hundred others, or which filter you used, or like any of that. Like I do feel like there's an appeal to like masterpiece mystery or Downton Abbey or um upstairs downstairs or what any of that stuff you know what I mean like um like there's a there's a comfort in that it's like a cozy mystery in a sense right oh it's a small like a masterpiece mystery where Oxford is like the murder capital of the absolute world like there's like like three different series and there's like the three people being killed there every week you know what I mean like which is ridiculous. It's like more than LA, but like, but anyways, like, um, that's people like that. Like, oh, little cottage. Oh, Miss Marple. Like, she gotta bumble out and solve a murder. You know what I mean? Like, where does she wrote? Whatever. Like, like there is this like sense of like contained rules-based world of right and wrong, right? And the butler in that sense is the absolute top of that, the arbiter. What is, you know what I mean, the right thing to say? What's the right thing to do? What's the right red wine to serve with this, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, Like, I, I feel like it's not necessarily the most progressive or enlightened urge. It's an urge towards comfort and familiarity and, you know, nostalgia for something that in reality never existed but people know that people are in on that. You know what I mean? Like, like all those people, um, you know, like I mentioned Hogwarts and obviously that's super problematic, but it's like those people taking that train, that little like steam train that goes over that bridge to like, they know that they know, you know, no, these people are not paragons of enlightenment. They know there's no real wizard school at the end of that. They're just in on the illusion. They it's comforting to them. You know what I mean? And like, I do feel like there's an element of that to these sort of like English period things, Butler things like that, where people want to buy into that. The, the coziness of it, the quietness, the cup of tea on a foggy morningness of it. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like, it's, yeah, it's not the most, it's not the most progressive thing. There are elements of it um, that directly plug into, you know, capitalism, billionaires, like, you know, all of the, all of these things like that. Um, but people know that and people you have to give them credit. They just are focusing on something, an element of it that gives them comfort. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I feel like Alfred essentially and his core is a comforting character. Like, that's his role with, you know, he's stabilizing. Like, Bruce pulls on the cowl, right? He goes out. He gets the crap kicked out of him. He barely survives. He comes limping back. Alfred is there. Upright. Not torn to bits. not But, in fact, impeccable, right? And maybe he's got, like, a grilled cheese sandwich and some tomato soup or whatever, whatever it is that Bruce needs at that moment. You know what I mean? His job is not to get torn up. It's not to enter the real world in any real sense, right? He's removed from that real world. He has his role in his world. And in his world, he's the master, right? He's the top of it. Um, and that's comforting to people. He's always gonna be there. He's supportive. He's a father figure who's not gonna push it, he's not gonna ask for a hug. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. I just and I, I feel like that's that's what's great about him. And people get out of that character what they what they want. If they want to pay attention to him, they don't have to. He's barely there. You know what I mean? But if they do, if they get some comfort out of him, that's great. You know what I mean? Like what's wrong, what's wrong with that? You know? And I feel like that's how he he gets away with that. You know what I mean? Like he's like he's not asking to be the center of attention. He's not asking to define the world of the comic. He's just his own little part of it right you know contained separate um but with access to like batman and batman is our batman's our surrogate right he's the one who goes out into the world makes the right decision most of the time sometimes the wrong decision he's trying to figure it out as we're trying to figure it out right the world's greatest detective but it's such like it's like it's such a perfect trick because you call him the world's greatest detective. It's like Sherlock Holmes, right? And then you see him looking at clues. But of course, you're looking at the same clues at the same time, right? It's very flattering that you're solving a crime along with the world's greatest detective. You're out there. His So when he, he's looking at something, he's your surrogate. Alfred is not. Like, we are not, you know what I mean? Like, there's a whole different thing. There's a whole different thing. We're not, like with Superman, same thing. His humanity when he's weak. Who's like we when we we see either our aspirations there or our ourselves. You know what I mean. That is as high points we see our aspirations as low points we see ourselves. Right. Um, they're always on a, about his humanity, right? His humanity because those are the main characters they're our surrogates in the comics. They're our surrogates. Like we're sometimes literally looking out through their eyes. Alfred is not that. Alfred is never that. You know what I mean? Like. So that's why this book is fun. For once, he can be. And But I'm really careful there because it's like, now we're not out in Gotham tearing things up or whatever. It's not his role. It's a, still a really defined, really specific role. Either Wayne Manor, present day, or his school and his schoolmates and their blazers and their, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's still a really specific world that he is navigating not the wider world he's not you know what i mean like it's still a really specific world and he's still ultimately end of the day right comes out on top that's his thing that's that's what he does you know what i mean and it was just really fun to just give him a moment though right like where he is like center of the center of the panel like he's the one doing the talking driving the action that was super fun but i knew yeah he's not going to be here tearing up Gotham. I knew he's not going to be saving the justice league from destruction or whatever like that. You know what I mean? I knew it would be really specific world that he operates within.
1: So uh, a few days ago, you compared launching a kid's book in 2023 to fighting a raging fire with a wet noodle. Uh, What are, what are the sort of the, the challenges that you find yourself up against, as this book is now out in the world
2: well i mean there are a number right so like for example pick your um, favorite (laughs) like the 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 book publishing landscape very different from like 2019 um dear justice league came out got a ton of attention early Mm -hmm. on so that was like a lot of media attention a lot of reviews a lot of um sneak previews, exclusives, like, but also just like reviews, people getting hand on review copies and like, and writing about it or whatever. And, um, and that had been the case with some of my other books, like my book Trapped, I talked about, is about a huge snowstorm, right? So that came out during a really snowy winter. And I got a ton of coverage just based on that, like, oh, stuck at home in the snow, like, here's the perfect book, like that kind of thing. That kind of media attention, pretty scarce these days, you know what I mean? A lot fewer channels, fewer, you know, in terms of like, just even like the magazines, so many of the magazines that have covered my earlier books that aren't, aren't even around anymore, <clears throat> in terms of like trade reviews. And that's mm-hmm. things like um, Publishers Weekly, School Library Journal, things like that, that have been very kind to of me over the years. They're doing, there's so many, there are more books, There they have fewer pages, there's just more, more with less, all of that. So many writers and writers I've known for for a long time are just not getting nearly the number of reviews anymore. I've got zero. Like this book has been out at this point. Like Dear Justice League already had the first starred review, which is a big thing for trade. Like the first, it was the first starred review for any of the DC Young Readers books. And it was for mm-hmm. Dear Justice League. is before the book even came out. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't have a single trade review for this yet. And if you don't have that, because you get that, I and mean, it's like, oh, the Publishers Weekly things out and it's great so then you put that on your social media and you know maybe your publisher puts that on theirs it's been a lot less of that you know what I mean and of course my main social media that I spent years building up is the artist formerly known as Twitter right you know what I mean and so that's (laughs) a dumpster fire on top of a dumpster fire and so then and you even feel weird promoting stuff on it so it's just like but well, what can you do? You know, you work for years on a book. You're really proud of it. You want to do something, but then it's like your friends and relatives on Facebook and then the beleaguered masses, you know what I mean? Who are also considering pulling the plug on X, right? So, so things like that, less media coverage, no reviews, no live events. I mean, dear justice, like I did an event, like the LA zoo did something in Bryant park. You know what I mean? Like we like all these like fun live events mm. and, yeah, it's just like they aren't doing so many of those anymore. <laughs> and um I didn't do any. So no live events, no trade reviews, no media coverage, what's left of Twitter. It's it's rough out there. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you know what you can do, but it's like, you know, and then you know, DC, like I think a lot of, you know, same thing. I mean, it's you know, they've they've been through the ringer a couple of times now with new ownership and all of this. And so I think they've settled on something where it's like they can put in like um, house ads in like the other graphic novels, other kids graphic novels, they promote the books promote each other, you know, the kids titles they have like um, Batman Scooby Doo mysteries, which I love, by the way, and that's like, but I feel like Issue 11 now, I think. So it's almost always 11, 12. Um, But so they'll be like house ads, and and that's they've settled on that's something they can do. And, you know, that's nice. But, you know, a lot of that is after the book's already out. And hopefully it has some effect down the line. But it, you know, it's not doing me much good right now. You know what I mean? And and so you just, you kind of on your own and you do what you can do. But the avenues, yeah, they feel like they're dwindling. You know what I mean? Um, Any good news you get, you share. You know, and it seems like, oh, because you're the one sharing it, at least if it's someone else saying the nice thing, then it gives you some, you know, credibility there. But yeah, it's a it's a challenge. And that's that's true of um books, graphic novels, comics, you know, like it'll be, you know, like, so Sam, like, um has uh just had, had a miniseries out, Mosley, right, mm-hmm. which is yep. fantastic, right? Um but it's so hard. It's like a five issue miniseries, and it's like, yeah, I mean, you're hoping for some, some. I mean, I think they actually did really well. It's I really enjoyed the series, but it's just like having a five issue miniseries is rough, right? Because it's like you got to get some kind of advanced publicity before you know, FOC on that stuff. Um, for issue one, just to give issue one. And then like by the time issue one is in the store, it's like final order cutoff might be over for issue two. And so, you know what I mean? It's just like that's rough. Like without without those reviews, without that media space, without the life it's just like it's a challenge. You know what I mean? And so um it, you know, it is what it is. I've so you know, I mean I've I've been fortunate in my career, I've sold like a million books and and um I've seen, you know, the, the highs and lows of that, but it is, it is challenging right now. Um, and, you know, you do what you can do. Cause it's like, that's the thing. It's like, you, you know, the idea is like, I think people think writers, you know, they're like, they'll write the thing and then they're done. But it's like, that's how I wrote this thing a long time ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the actual writing a long time ago, you know what I mean? Like I'm still out here. You know what I mean? Like I'm sick as a dog. This is my second podcast today. You know what I mean? Like, like you t- <laughs> do what you can do, you know, like, um, but it's like, but on the other hand, it's like, so that's like like me playing the real small violin for myself, right? But like, <laughs> but it's like, eh, you know, talking about comic books, it's like it's fun ultimately, right? Like, like if you enjoy what you make, like it's not the worst thing in the world, you know what I mean? Like after, you know. Read about comic books, talk about comic. I mean, it's like, you know, I don't know. It's not it's not the worst thing, but it, it does feel like you don't necessarily have the 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 tools, you know what I mean, to to make it move the needle a lot. Um, and so you just do what you can do based on just like enthusiasm for the product, you know, and and um um yeah, so that's I mean, yeah, that's 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 and you know, even like tweeting that like you know you're nervous doing things like that you know because you don't know I mean? seem like oh you're throwing anyone at the you know, not casting any shade or whatever thing like that you know I probably danced perilously close to that in my answer too but like it is what it is I I think people understand you know what I mean like mm-hmm. you want the book to succeed you do what you can it's it's more challenging right now and even just things like paper is more expensive, stuff like that. Just like decisions are different. Like I've had a couple couple of my books went out of print um, from scholastic over the pandemic and it's just like they're still selling you know maybe 400 to 800 copies of and it was like 10 year old books and selling 800 copies but and that's that's good that's nice but it's like but everything's more expensive paper is more expensive the shipping's more expensive all of that and so like that would have been plenty to keep it in print they should like sure we'll order like but like when you sell that many you burn through a, a new printing relatively fast but You know what I mean? So so then they need to order more and they need to order more and that's everything's gonna cost So it's just like, anyways, I had some books that were still selling well, books that people have really responded to over the years, go out of print over the course of the pandemic. And it's just because everything got more expensive and logistics got more complicated. The books didn't get any worse, you know, they were still selling well, it's just like not quite, and well enough five years ago, definitely just not right now, you know what I mean, and, that, and then it's, it's out of print, and that's, it, that's that, and so it's like, yeah, it's just a, it's a challenging time, but, you know, that's not, that's true for a lot of people, I guess, but, um, but anyways, that's, that's what I meant about that, and then, yeah, who knows about, right, Twitter, X, whatever, you know, because then it's like, oh, I gotta go on Mastodon now, I gotta do, I gotta start from zero on wherever, you know what I mean, like, and it's like, oh man, it was easier. <laughs> it was easier before uh, to start off and to do that again now. And then, cause then you're just like immediately flashing forward to the end game where it's like, oh, but how is like Mastodon going to end up in the dumpster? You know what I mean? Like, and I'm going to like sink all this like time into building this up and, you know. So again, it's the same thing. Just like, just try and have fun on there. Say what you want to say. And, and it's like, and then it's not such a loss if it completely implodes. <laughs> it's like I, it's fun while it lasted, right? <laughs> but it, it's just it's just hard to say that, right? You're, you're both on Twitter. Right? It's hard to say that about Twitter right now. Oh super fun while it lasted. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Really looking forward to the next election on Twitter. <laughs> that's gonna be great. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just yeah, maybe yeah. So anyway, it's yeah, so that's that's what I meant by that.
1: Let's steer into a more fun note.
2: Yeah, shall that be I? Almost anything. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
1: After poor, the question
0: that I asked. Yeah. yeah thanks poor. a lot. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're getting near the end here, but uh, you've also just got an upcoming story in one of the Archie uh, yes. Halloween horror anthologies. Uh, I'm cur- curious, since the Archie horror stuff tends to skew a little older. How crazy do you get to go with this versus your sweeter, more all-ages work? Well, so it's interesting because,
2: like, <laughs> um, Archie, the first Archie I did was Holiday Magic, and that was just, like, straight-up mainline Archie. So that was, like, a love triangle. Like, it was, like, the idea was, like, it was like Archie, but, like, the Hallmark Christmas special. So, like, Archie tries to make out on his own in the big city. It doesn't work out. He... He moves back, tail between his legs to his hometown. Oh, here's his old flame. You know, so then it's like right back, you know. So it was just like, you know, very much like mainline Archie readership, which is like that love triangle, sort of like, but these were adult characters. Um, but the last two I've done have both been middle grade, basically. So it was like Fear the Funhouse was the second one. And that was super, super fun. Um Um, that was Wilbur, Lori, and Linda who were like the, the precursors to Archie, Betty, and Veronica, right? So that was super fun to like dig them up. They were in, they're fun because like, you can see that the formula was almost there, but it was like, instead of like this sort of like love triangle thing with Betty and Veronica, with like Lori and Linda, it's like Lori was his sort of steady and like Linda was trying to get in there and break them up a little bit. So it was like, not quite and he wasn't quite Archie it was just like almost there they were like the three before Archie Betty and Veronica and they were so close like if you squinted they they could pass for them but they weren't and it was really fun to like dust them off you know what I mean and you know after decades and just like yeah give them a story um and that was like uh it's called um um yeah, like it was um, suburban, um, suburban legend. That is like that's the cold medicine talking. So suburban instead of urban legend, suburban legend, right? So it was like the classic, like the man with the hook hand, and then the radio was like beyond the lookout for, and they're they're parked at Lovers Lane, and the whole thing. So it was just like the classic urban legend about the man with the hook for the hand, and um, and then I just set that in you know, in Riverdale with Wilbur Laurie and Linda, and it was just super fun. And, you know, so, you know, for that kind of middle grade horror it's just going to be the sight of the hook and the jump scare and like that kind of thing, you're not going to have a lot of gore. But this new one, Toy Box of Terror, is like super, super fun. And what I've gotten there is, again, like, total C-list. Characters. So I've got Mad Doctor Doom, like not the Dr. Doom you're thinking of, mad Dr. Doom Mm from 1962, Archie comics. And so, and his um, hard luck assistant, Chester Plunkett, um, and uh, a doll named Plucky, a Plucky doll. Um, Mm -hmm. Stabby little doll named Plucky. And um, yeah, so there's, there's like, there's blood in there. Like you don't see, like, like, trails of blood, that kind, that level of, like, violence, but a little bit more, like, we definitely dialed it up a, a notch, um, in, in these, and it's just, it's just fun, like, this whole thing is, like, yeah, like, Chucky, um, um, Megan, like, you know what I mean, like, th- these, like, all these, sort of, like, variations of murderous scary dolls, um, which is, um, which was just super fun. You know what I mean, and and uh, my little part was like, yeah, it was the plucky doll, which which was which was really fun. This little foul mouth thing and the scissors, and um, I mean not too foul mouth because he's a middle girl, but like, <laughs> but it's like he's like cleaning. At one point, he's like cleaning the blood off his scissors, and the and like the Chester is like, uh, plucky, do you know any? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what is it, kid? I'm a little busy here. <laughs> <laughs> like cleaning the blood off so it was super fun I I enjoyed doing that I mean I I do notice like not lost on me that I they have the last two things I've pitched them a ton of stuff and the last two things they've done with me are middle grade stuff but it's like I also have some like like pre hitter own pitches out there and stuff but it's hard right like it's like so um I have I have some ideas but once you do kids comics it is it can be a little hard to scale the playground walls <laughs> um so yeah so I mean Archie one for three has has not been middle grade uh DC so far all my stuff has been middle grade um which is which is great I mean I do love those stories and I love that age group because you can write anything like that you could write a mystery you can write as long as it's a good story those readers will follow you they'll you know you know they'll they want to enjoy it you want to enjoy it you know um you both on pulling in the same direction but um that said you know i mean like there's other stuff i i would do um but yeah so yeah i mean so that's 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 how i've navigated how i have navigated the older readership is by not being assigned it <laughs> it's really it's flawless if you think about it um but yeah, I mean, maybe someday. I do have like a fun um, Western horror thing with um, the um, Eric Owen, who is the, the um, uh, artist on Teen Titans Go On Dead for me, but also one of the artists on the uh, Batman's Could We Do Mysteries, which are so, so great. Um, but he also, like he's another guy. He's, he does, he mostly he gets work doing um, kids comics and he is a really versatile, amazing Artist. He also did like Batman Night Watch, which is like was like a, a little more a bit, you know what I mean? Like, but like, um, not Night Terror. Night Watch is totally different. Um, but um, but so like we're we're like okay, we'll put this pitch together. With, and his art is amazing, and he's a huge Western history nerd like I am. Um, and see if anyone will you know take a chance on two, to long in the tooth kids writers, right? So, um. But whatever you know again we're just putting something together that's fun for us so we'll we'll see that where that goes i would not be surprised with like a publisher being like we love it can you do a middle grade version like that like totally like that would be and then it's like sad trombone um but um but yeah we'll we'll see i put together i have another one like a, a cold war horror which is very much adult mm-hmm. but like who's who knows who knows if, if people are going to see that from me but um yeah anyway that's i do have thoughts on this but that's probably enough of that
0: a penultimate question yes uh, what are you reading right now
2: so um i am reading um hesitate to bring this up but i did just finish a novel which i i will say like is like has been a little bit of a rarity for me since the pandemic my attention got so shattered like days of just sitting there playing Fortnite. so i did i read it like a but it's a short novel it's called Berlin um and so I I read it was probably the sixth novel I've read since the pandemic started so I'm just going to put that on there to get credit for but I will say that uh, like a lot of my um I I read a lot of um miniseries um comics um and so I've it's it's been like a great run for me and like a bad run because a lot of my top miniseries are have either just ended or are ended ending like I mentioned Batman's Can We Do Mysteries like that's just about ending, but like I love Dead Boy Detectives. You know what I mean? Like Sandman, Dead Boy Detectives, like was so so good, and that just ended. Um, of course, right after Human Target ended, I love that. You know what I mean? Like the so like you you know you get these like, um, and so many of my favorites are, over the years, are are miniseries like that, and we, it was like one after another. So like um, you know, Shirtless Bear Fighter.
1: I love Shirtless Bear Fighter. I've read both yeah. volumes
2: yeah so so good so bear fighter 2 ended and then human target ended and then Uh like it's like one after another. it's like a murderer's row and it's like on the one hand it's good because it's like okay now they're um like that was that was amazing i could get the trade i loved it and you move on to the next thing but it's like now you're like looking for something else in your your pull list you know what i mean like so it's it's been a little of a of a Of a a weird run that way, where like these just like these miniseries that I've completely loved have all been like coming to an end uh, one after another. I mentioned I really enjoyed uh, Mosley. I mean, I think my my top ongoing for years now has been Something Is Killing the Children. Just Mm -hmm. like always, so good. Of course, now there are these like big gaps between arcs or whatever, but I you know just always really good. And the last, I mean, the last cycle was so so good I mean um but yeah so I mean um yeah those are I mean those are you know I'm enjoying the new uh Doom Patrol um Unstoppable what are we about in the middle there like four of seven something like that and so um I'm also a little bit behind on stuff because um my comic shop is Midtown Comics mm which is of course like 40th street. It's not surprisingly in midtown. Um, but I'm all the way in the top of Manhattan, like Northern Manhattan. So to get my police, I have to go like get on the train and like go into like times square. And it's just like, it's like, ah, I dread it. I don't like to, it's not, it's not great down there these days during the day or it's probably not any better during the night. So it's like, I end up being like a couple weeks late, always like picking up my, Full list and something like Hellfire Gala will happen, and then I'll just be like, it's like, cause I, I, I don't read, I read, I read them all in, in floppy, you know, so I uh-huh. don't read online. And so I'm just like, I know this huge thing's happened, and I'm like three weeks behind everyone else. I, I essentially, I mean, I know what happened there, you know what I mean? Like, but like, well, yeah, because Twitter spoiled it for you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, going <laughs> you know, in, it was going to be a bloodbath or whatever, but I still haven't read it. So just like, so I end up in that weird, that weird space where it's just like, I'm a little bit, I'm a little, but then that's, you know, it's funny cause that's what it was like for me growing up too. And I had to wait to go into, for my mom to drive us to Torrington for my mother threw mine away. Um, so yeah, so, so yeah. So um, that's, you know, I, I I am looking for, I would be nice to have, um, like I'm enjoying the uh, the new, uh, the 007 um, thing they're doing. That's, that's mm-hmm. been pretty fun. All of Barbaric. I, I love a ton of Vault actually, like um, but like Barbaric Help to pay, that was a blast. Like all the barbaric stuff is really fun. Mm-hmm. Door to door, night by night. That's an ongoing. You know what I mean? Like, so I I do need more ongoings relative to because my mini-series keep ending. And it's it's like with that kind of quality, you know what I mean? Like, like some like human target ends, and it's like, where are you gonna how are you gonna replace that? You know what I mean? Like, how are you gonna replace that quality? month after month in your pull list you know what i mean like um but yeah but i yeah i I still do have a a pretty good mix between yeah ongoing and in miniseries
1: well michael this has been a fantastic time a final question as we release you back into the world how can people follow you online and keep up with young alfred and everything else that you got going on
2: It's funny. You're asking me about my Twitter handle now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah. After that ring endorsement, I'm at MD Northrup, which sounds like I'm a doctor, which I wish, but um, I, that's just my middle name is Don. So MD Northrup um, at whatever on Twitter. Um, And um, yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram too. Um, It's, it's, Mostly, it's, it's a little bit of a mix of people I do and don't know on, on Instagram. Facebook tends to be like a lot of people I do know. Actually, that's not true. I got like thousands of followers on Facebook. I, I don't know most of them, but it, then I don't interact with most of them. So it doesn't matter. It's like it's, it always ends up being like your your aunt and stuff who like comments on everything. And so that's fine. That's what Facebook's for. But it's mostly Twitter. That's where I waste most of my time. Um And yeah, it's... um. At MD Northrop. Um and I'm I'm there until it craters into the ground or whatever it's gonna do. Um I've you know I put in the time there. I do have some I have some people I interact with regularly. I I do and you know, I like my feed, you know, there's some just good people on there that, you know. So yeah, I'm there, I'm there for a while. MD Northrop, and you can just yeah, follow um uh, what's going on with Young Alfred? Because if anything good does happen with Young Alfred, you could be sure I'm going to tweet the heck out of it. Um, um, and also just follow the general public acclaim, which any day now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, right. I mean, but obviously, like Young Alfred is out. It's wherever you you know books or comics are sold, and and um, we had a ton of fun putting it together. So yeah.
1: All right. Well, Michael, thank you very much for coming on the show.
2: Yeah. Thanks so much. Uh, this was a lot of fun.
1: That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQNA is part of ComicsXF, XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast Battle of the Atom and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQNA on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQNA at Patreon.com/slash/ComicsXF where a dollar donation gets you a shout-out at the end of every episode. A $2 donation gets you early access to WMQ&A and a shout-out at the end of every episode. A $3 donation gets you a sticker, early access, and a shout-out. A $5 donation gets you access to our monthly bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the comic appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $25 donation lets you request a primer, one of our custom reading guides for a series, character, or creator, any $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Will Redmond, Tobias Carroll, Natalie Jordan, Mike Sagawa, Will Nevin, Liz Large, Asimov Fangirl, Carla Pacheco, and Robert Secundus. You're all special, and we love you. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at Matt 1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. You can also follow ComicsXF on Facebook and Blue Sky. And until next week, remember, in the 1970s, Stan Lee reportedly used to maintain a collection of toupees that made it appear as if he was growing his hair out. Excelsior!